The Guardian. Support for this Guardian podcast comes from Squarespace, providing creative tools that help you bring your ideas to life. Squarespace offers free domain names, customizable designs, and 24-7 support. Go to squarespace.com and use the offer code GUARDIAN to get 10% off. Hello, I'm John Plunkett and welcome to Media Talk. On this week's show, question time for BBC Four as David Dimbleby says the BBC has too many TV channels. Or perhaps that should be tattoo many. Anyway. Also this week, trebles all round at ITV as ad revenues are up, Simon Cowell signs on the dotted line, and I'm a Celebrity is back with a bang. Plus, it's a no-go for global radio as they lose their appeal over the big GMG radio sell-off. Lots more too, including Rebecca Nicholson on the return of Last Tango in Halifax and American Horror Story. There's a mashup I'd pay to see. This is Media Talk from The Guardian. And I'm joined this week by writer and broadcaster Sam Delaney and by Peter White, reporter with Broadcast Magazine. Welcome both. Hello. Peter, hey. making your pod debut. Are you very excited? I'm very sure? excited, John. Thanks. Thank God. I got <laughs> off on the right foot. Brilliant. And Sam, I was minding my own business, watching the ads, like I do. Uh, whilst fast-forwarding through TV programmes, and uh, I heard a mysterious voice. Are, are you a Mr. Voiceover Man? I do voiceovers, yeah. Nestle from time to time. You? you will hear my lovely voice from time to time, uh, hawking stuff, yeah. I bought it. I didn't want it, because it was you I, I ordered Well, some. it's a three-in-one coffee, so you strike me as a busy man with not much time to spare, and it's the perfect product for you, because all you have to do is take one sachet. It has coffee, whitener, and a single sugar all in one. There's no mucking around, John. So for a man with your fast-paced life, I can really highly recommend it. How many do you put in the cafetiere? Uh, yeah, we don't try and pour, pour it into your Nespresso. That that would be chaos. God, that is the most depressing fast food gadget I've ever heard. That, no, 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 that your thing you yeah, just said. Yeah, yeah. Milk, coffee and sugar. Yeah, so all in one sachet. Yeah. Just in case you can't be bothered to tear open you two to get the milk out of the fridge. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I trust it pays well. But yeah, yeah, but it <laughs> is also delicious. I must stress that. Good. Well, we'll try some in a minute. Um, back to broadcasting. Uh, first up, it's time to talk. Uh, well, this makes a change. The BBC. First, it was former Olympic supremo Roger Mosey, and now it's David Dimbleby who's suggesting the BBC should be cut back. With friends like these, you imagine who needs the Daily Mail? Dimbleby said the corporation should redefine its role, uh, redefine it smaller, and I asked whether it was too powerful for its own good and should maybe cut back a bit on its number of TV channels. That echoed Mosey's sentiments a while back that the BBC's budget was being stretched too thin and it prompted another former BBC exec, ex-Radio 4 boss Mark Damazar, to call on the critics to lay off, saying the changing media landscape meant the BBC was actually smaller and less powerful than it once was. Who's right? Who knows? Uh, Sam, I'm kind of imagining it's a bit like Mike Reed's pop quiz where all these kind of former BBC execs and, and current are all kind of racing into sort of one one hole. It says for BBC or, or against BBC. And oh, we're gonna yeah. S- Run around. Does that work? Run no, around. No, no, that's not it. Quiz. Not pop quiz. Run around. You lost me because actually the other Mike Reed did present pop quiz. God, that was the, a... the, the one from Saturday Superstar. But you're talking about Mike Reed out of EastEnders who did Run Around, which was the game where there was the two circles. See, that's a correction and clarification that's entirely excusable, I think. Absolutely. So, uh, so I imagine it's a bit run like around. Run Around. Let's be clear. Yeah, this is exactly like Run Around. That's just what I thought when I read it. Well, a lot of people come out and make this criticism. It is usually kind of aging news presenters, isn't it? Because Patsman's done it. Has John Humphreys done it? John Humphreys it? did it. He'd make if he hasn't, he should do. Several years ago. He yeah. was way ahead of his time. So they all they all make the exact same point. But I can't remember the name of the bloke who you just said. David Dimblumblum. No, no. not I, Obviously, I remember his name. Mark but Demerson. which of them said, if you look at the context, the BBC has to grow bigger to maintain its scale? 
Because you've got Sky, you've got Google, you've got et cetera, et cetera. Precisely. The strangest thing that Dimbleby said was about, you know, digital news. Because, of course, the BBC provides some of the only kind of, or, or not some of the only, but a, a large amount of the original reporting out there via its digital offering. So I think people will always sympathise when he turns his attentions to things like BBC Three, which, you know, I'm sure is great for its audience, but a lot of people, like Dimbleby, would struggle to see what the point of it is. Peter, um, what, what, what do you make of this? It seems like, as, as uh, Sam said, you know, Humphreys was going on uh, about BBC Four a few years ago, and the debate seemed to go away. BBC Four is getting it in the neck again. Yeah, bizarrely, as you, as you say, you sort of expect that David Dimbleby would take a pot shot at BBC Three rather than BBC Four. It, it just seems like another, another easy target. I mean, BBC Four does very well for the things that it does. I mean, the other cheap shot that he made was all about gardening and cookery programming. I think it was a shot at BBC Two. Because he was sort of saying, yeah, BBC Four's great, but isn't that what BBC Two used to be? Now BBC Two's just full of gardening and cookery. Why can't we just make it? Would you have the, you wouldn't have the Great British Bake Off if? Well, you would because that's going on BBC One now. Well, so but, but you wouldn't have had it in the first place. You wouldn't have had right it incubated place. and yeah. nurtured so lovingly. Yeah, in Ask the big him BBC he Two that. Yeah. Well, it's, well, I mean, I think there's a question around BBC Two and BBC Four because BBC Two's lost all its daytime programming. It doesn't do things it used to do. BBC Four no longer does drama or virtually does no entertainment and certainly no history. So, I mean, you've almost got kind of two half channels but both pretending to be channels, or, or is that not fair? The other thing about BBC Four, they do great documentaries, but they must be the smallest budget documentaries in the world because when you watch one for an hour... It's all the presenter, and then they often use the same still image with the slowest rostrum camera in the world <laughs> that they manage to stretch out over a whole hour. But fair play to them because they're still very compelling hours. Yeah. And BBC Four, and it does a lot of archive stuff, doesn't it, Peter? But it does it very well. And, and why shouldn't it be making the most of the archive? Yeah. I didn't really understand what it, what his point was about it. it. It didn't seem very clear in terms of what he was proposing. Uh, but Peter, this is going to be the the, the first of uh, a long debate that's going to go on what, all the way till twenty seventeen. This is all about the BBC's charter renewal, of course. Yeah, we've got exactly a, how much the license fee is going to be. We've got a long way to go till then, and you can imagine a few more people coming in and saying these same sort of things. Do you think it's hard to see Tony Hall saying, "All right, then, let's get rid of BBC Four"? Yeah. Do you know what? You're right. I've been thinking about this anyway. I imagine the fact that it's always. Dimbleby, Paxman, Humphreys, these kind of guys who perceive themselves as, you know, making the sort of programmes that the BBC should make, quality programmes. And if they see their budgets being cut or not growing to the extent that they would like them to, then they flick it, they accidentally stumble across something on BBC Three, like, you know, how how big are your plums or something like that. Tattoo format, perhaps. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And they sort of think, hang on, we could have had some of that dough. And, uh, you know, why wouldn't they think that? But, yeah, like you say, I very much doubt Tony Hall's going to see it so simplistically. And uh, Steve Wright's Factoids, Eat Your Heart Out. Did you know that the the youth channel was originally going to be BBC Four, but they made it BBC Three and made the upmarket one BBC Four to make it harder to axe the youth channel? Because then you'd be stuck with BBC 1 and BBC 2 and BBC 4. Plus, focus grouping always shows that 3 is a kind of a cool hit number that the kids like. It's a magic number. 4 just seems dusty and boring. 4, mm. BBC 4. Yeah. Well, that's enough BBC, but we're going to stick with the small screen. Because if the corporation is coming increasingly under the microscope, then they were breaking the bunting out at ITV and not just the Christmas decorations. It was such a good news week that we should get Martin Lewis to read this bit out. One for older listeners there. Uh, first up, ad revenues were up 11% in the third quarter of this year. Second, it bagged the rights to all the James Bond films. Not quite sure about that one. Third, I'm a Celebrity was back and returned to record ratings. 12 million viewers. And last but not least, it's on a new £150 million deal with Simon Cowell, taking care of Saturday nights for the next two years. Well, most of them at least. 
Peter, is this uh, £150 million well spent? They've had a great week, haven't they? The Simon Cowell news is huge for them because um, you're not really sure what they can do without, without X Factor, really, particularly, and, and, and got talent. For that sort of thing, I think they've, they've done very well. I think the James Bond was a nice uh, uh, screw you to Sky as well, with, which made such a, a big deal about uh, taking the rights last year. So, yeah, I think, uh, and with Celeb, I mean, look, those numbers are, are massive, and I don't think anyone expected, expected to them to get sort of nearly 12 million viewers for it. And were Sky trying to hang on to those? Well, I got the sense maybe they sort of sucked out all the value they possibly could off the back of Skyfall and said, all right, everyone's watching, we want to see him on ITV, you're welcome. I think that deal last year was very much about Skyfall. I don't think it was particularly a, a long-term plan. But listeners might think, you know, X Factor, a million viewers down last year, last year was two million viewers down the year before. You know, he never even bothers to turn up these days. No. So how comes he's getting 150 million quid over three years? I know. This is Simon Cowell, not James Bond. Yeah, no, it's, it is a peculiar one because certainly it's ratings and it's kind of... A, you know, cultural resonance is just in decline and has been for a while. You know, that about five, four, four, five years ago, that you know, it was absolutely front page news uh, almost every day during the run. And and even if you didn't watch the show, you kind of just through a process of osmosis couldn't avoid but know about the contestants and the dramas that were going on. It, you know, it was hugely relevant during this time of year. Now, I don't watch the show. I couldn't name a single uh, contestant in it because it just doesn't seem to have the same impact anymore. We know that the ratings are dwindling as well. You know, ITV or just TV, there's not been a new kind of high impact new idea with reality TV for a while. And, you know, in the absence of that, they've kind of re-signed it. But you, you imagine that these next few years over the course, this will be, it's, it will die its natural death, you know, in the way that we saw Big Brother do that on Channel 4. It's interesting you say that because just before this announcement, um, they picked up or are about to pick up a new format, a new talent format from Israel, a new show called Rising Star, which actually, in fact, was out in, in Israel and went to a taping of it. And it is the X Factor with, with iPhones. Um, and they're going to put that on Sunday night. So it's going to be interesting to what see. Do you do it at home? You basically vote live on your app. And the, the contestant on the big wall behind them can see whether people like them or not. So halfway during the song, you can see if you, you know, you've done oh well or goodness. not. Um, and it'd be interesting to see. And apparently Simon Cowell, just before they, they did that, was on the phone to Israel saying, look, I like this idea. Any way I can get involved. I think they should extend that idea to every TV program. You should have an app, just any show. Just you can vote whether you like it or not. Yeah. I mean, you can end a show almost immediately. <laughs> Go if, straight to the next. If go. enough people vote against it, and you just get jump straight to the next show, that'd be a good idea. You have a year-long schedule in a week, yeah, and then just go back to your box sets. Uh, hey, who knew about Israel? Well, probably loads of people, just not me. Homeland, it's, now this, probably some other things. Well done, Israel's TV execs. It's a really small country. They've done really well. They've got a couple of things at Channel 4 that are about to, to come uh, into, into production. And yeah, for such a small country, they've, uh, they've had a few good ideas. And is there a same distribution company involved in Homeland and uh, the talent It is actually right? a company called Cachette. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they do Homeland and they do Rising Star and they do a, a few others. Uh, well, Sam, you mentioned uh, we haven't really come up with a new reality show, so let's stick with the old ones. And who'd have thought I'm a celebrity came back? I think it's 12th series, 13th series. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure, but it's 12 million viewers. It's biggest ever. And this this show was dead in the water a couple. But of years then, ago. what I think is interesting about this is that the level of celebrity on it this year, Matthew Wright. Yeah, it, it, it's it's pretty. I you know I hesitate to say poor. Matthew Wright is a lovely man, and I'm sure everyone else on there as well. But they don't have as it feels to me like they don't have as many big stars as they have done in the past. So. I suspect they're investing less in that and yet its audience is growing which shows that actually with these celebrity shows 
it doesn't really matter. I remember a few years ago, they got Jordan to return to the jungle for a second time and they spent, spent a huge sum of money to convince her to do it because they thought, you know, it hinges upon us having, you know, a big name with a huge narrative wrapped around her for us to get the audiences. Now people tune in, partly because it's just become a tradition now. It's one of those things, you know, it's like watching Only Falls and Horses at Christmas. It gets this time of year, everyone gathers around and watches it. And it's the format itself, and it doesn't really matter who the who the big names are anymore because you know it's it's, it's not a spectacular lineup by any means. And of course, people tune in to see Ant and Deck, who are at their very very finest on this particular show. They should do a celebrity version of I'm a Celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> then we really exactly. tune in. Uh, and finally, uh, for this part of the show, it took uh, time to talk football. And it turns out the BT's £900 million snatch of the day for live UEFA Champions League rights, snatch of the day, might just be the beginning. BT TV's chief executive, Mark Watson, said the company was going to invest more eye-watering sums on sports rights. And one broadcaster said the next Premier League rights auction will be a seismic clash, a do-or-die situation, which is the way uh, Sky normally Bigs up, it's uh, Sunday Night Football. B-Sky Chief Exec Jeremy Darrick has spoken publicly for the first time about losing the rights, and he said he'd make Sky Sports 1 and Sky Sports 2 available to BT, but only if BT allowed Sky to offer its sports channels as part of a satellite TV package. Also, Darrick said uh, Champions League accounted for less than 3% of viewing on Sky. Um, Sam, but I'm not sure, 3%, that sounds quite a lot, actually, for, for one... Uh uh, purely for Champions They've League. They've bought all of the Champions League. Champions League is a vast, overblown tournament with loads of superfluous games involving teams that only the most anarchy of football fan will have heard of or have any interest in. Okay, ITV have bought all of those games. You know, ninety-five percent of those games, no one will be watching. What happens is that's, that's BT bought it. Yeah. People, yeah, sorry, BT. Basically, what you do is you watch the games with the English clubs in, and then it gets to about the later stages, quarterfinals, semifinals. There's games then that you know any neutral would watch. That's it. So really, it feels like one of those kind of overblown statements of intent, as opposed to something that has any practical value, because they will not get an audience to justify that amount of money. Plus, when it comes to the next round for the Premier League, they've obviously got a, a, a huge ton of cash to splash around, but they've just wasted a load of it on this, just to kind of almost wade into town and show, look what we've got. I, I genuinely believe, Scott, when they say they're not that bothered. So Peter, what do you think? Did, did BT waste their money? I'm not sure that Sky aren't that bothered. If you think that, that Jeremy Derrick now says, you know, we'll, we'll work with them, whereas th- is- three or six months ago they would never have said. Um, and they also get the Europa League, so you get all those games that even the, the football <laughs> hipsters don't really uh, yeah. care about. But no, I think BT, I, and I can believe, you know, they're, they're gearing up for the Premiership, and I, and I can really see a point where they're going to they're gonna go in, and they're going to go in big, and if Sky loses it, that's going to be a real problem for them. And it's good news, Sam, for footballers in the sense that uh, it'd be even more money for Premier League next time round, which the clubs will give straight to the players. Yeah, absolutely. And so they should. <laughs> <laughs> should be giving it to the fans. Without the fans, there's no atmosphere. Isn't that, isn't that a problem? Do you think? How do you the, give money out to the fans? They should cut the cut the attendance prices. Yeah, they should do that. Yeah, but you know, I mean, fans are, they'll turn up and watch the game, whatever you charge, as long as the stadiums keep being full. There's no point going and then going on a, a phone in and moaning about the price. And as long as the food's so good, they'll keep going, yeah? yeah? Mind you, the food is getting good. Apparently, at the club, not at my club, where the food is disgusting and always has been, and God willing, always will be. Uh, they've got all the celebrity chefs working at Manchester City and Arsenal now. And at Forest Green Rovers, it's fully vegetarian. Is that right? Yeah. I know this is off topic. I know the football guys were in there doing their podcast before us. It's like an echo. But that's interesting, though, isn't it? That, uh, that Forest Green Rovers are a completely vegetarian club. It's up there with the most interesting Guardian stat. readers, that's your club. It's almost as interesting as my BBC Three and BBC Four factoid. <laughs> well, we're off for an S Cafe, but coming next, Global Radio, The Daily Mail, and Newsnight. 
Let's talk radio and Ashley Table's Global Radio, which lost its appeal over a competition commission ruling, ordering it to sell off stations in seven parts of the country. This followed its £70 million acquisition of smooth and real parent GMG Radio. It's another blow for Global in the troubled acquisition of the GMG stations, which appears to be proving rather more trouble than it's worth. Global will have to sell off a real or a smooth or a heart or a capital in seven markets around the country. It originally offered to offload three, I think, to appease competition concerns. So hang on, they they could sell either the their existing global stations that they already had or GMG. Do we know which ones they're going to sell? It's the, up to them. The funniest would be if they just sold the GMG radio so the station straight away. To, who was the rival bidder? Was it Bauer? It was Bauer. Just selling to Bauer. Bauer probably sitting there thinking we can go in with a really small offer now. Because well, they the don't problem. have the same conflict with the brands that they have, do they? They don't. They don't. Although Bauer have been on the expansion as well. They bought Planet they bought Rock Absolute didn't they? and Absolute. Mm. That's it. Yeah, but um, it would appear. Uh, no I don't such... think there's enough overlap for them to have this same kind of trouble, re-monopolies and all those kind of concerns. So my advice to Paul Keenan, the uh, terribly, I know he's a listener, terribly capable chief executive of Bauer, is go in and make them an offer that could only be described as derisory. <laughs> we shall see what they do. Uh, and what well, you mentioned the Absolute and Planet Rock. You got any advice for Paul Keenan regarding those two? <laughs> make make yeah, them all you, make them both Planet Rock. Them. And what happened to Kerrang in amidst all of this? Do, is that, does that still exist? Kerrang at Radio. I, I was under the impression that was very popular. You can't triple up on Rock. Then you've got Triple Rock. It's a disaster. I think Kerrang's already become Planet Rock. Thank God. Next up, changing times at Newsnight, where long-serving science editor Susan Watts is to leave, along with one of its two dedicated foreign reporters, Tim Huell. They're not the only changes on the programme, of course, with the arrival of ITV News business editor Laura Koonsberg and the departure in the new year of one of its four presenters, Gavin Esler. Another new arrival is FT executive comment editor Chris Cook. We can expect the door to keep spinning for a while yet, with a replacement for former economics editor Paul Mason in the pipeline and a beefed-up investigations team. Peter, what did you what, what did you make of these latest changes? Busy busy times for Ian over there, right? Uh, I think uh, since uh, editor he, Ian Katz, of course. Since yeah. he started, uh, it's been busy. Uh, interestingly, you mentioned the science uh, editor because there was a petition going around that there should be more science on Newsnight. I, I gather you sort of think nowadays that all the kids are watching Breaking Bad and, and learning how to cook meth. You think that there might be something they could uh, they could target into. Get him get him on Newsnight. Get him on Newsnight. Walter White. What have you made of the changes at Newsnight so far, Sam? I mean, it's getting talked about, isn't it? I mean, is that the first battle to be written about and get noticed again? Uh, in terms of, you know, the, the boring so. I mean, snoring I, I, and all that I, I stuff. Think the, yeah, I the think thriller video spoof yeah. pastiche thing. Well, you look at things like that. When you when your new editor take over something, I suppose it's nice for you personally to make a bit of a statement. So, you know, you, you think up kind of gimmicky ideas and, and make a bit of a splash. Plus, you have to make your own, you know, mark on things by changing the staff around a bit. And so it boosts the extent to which people are talking about you, which is probably good for your profile and your career in the long term. But whether or not it makes an impact on audience figures... Yeah, I don't know, but I suspect not. Yeah. And Peter, Ian Katz has indicated that just because Susan Watts is leaving, as some people have suggested, it's, it's not going to do less science. That's what the criticism has been. And uh, it seems to be they're going to use more correspondence within the, from within the BBC and also get experts from, from outside of the corporation. Does, does that sound like a good thing? Yeah, I think that, you know, if, if you're trying to create a bit of noise, and, and particularly not just on science, you'd think that they should sort of cooperate a little bit more, particularly uh, on topics like that, where perhaps, you know, they haven't covered it as much as people would like. And Sam, the big thing is going to be getting more investigations and getting the big scoots back. And for obvious reasons, well, since Savile and McAlpine, you know, they've sort of shied yeah. away from that. Yeah, but that's great, isn't it? I mean, you know, the BBC should be putting their resources into uh, original journalism, which is there's not much of it left elsewhere. 
even if you're a big fan of the BBC and what they do, one of the easiest criticisms that you could level at them is if they've got 10 different science correspondents working across the corporation all on separate salaries, that's exactly the sort of stick that the male and every other critic is going to use to beat them with. So it's a, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. And if the resources go into original journalism, then more's the better. You hope they're not scared to, to do those big pieces, you know, after what's happened in the last couple of years. So hopefully that, that can come back. OK, well, you mentioned the mail there, Sam. Uh, we end with the Daily Mail uh, and its sidebar of shame. Here's a few stats for you. Uh, get, your, get your pencils out. Write these down for no, no reason. Daily Mail's website set itself a target of more than £60 million in revenues next year, having reported £41 million uh, last year. Uh, and they said it uh, won't be long before the uh, increase in digital revenues offsets the decline in old uh, analogue revenues, as it were, which is the goal for everyone. And here's those stats. It was the biggest ever traffic day on Wednesday this week, 12.5 million uniques. And it wasn't even a particularly big news day or no, no big news event. And in the past 10 days, seven of its biggest traffic days on record. Uh, so seven out of the last 10 days have been record breakers. So it seems, Sam, that the controversy over various, you know, male issues like what they wrote about Ed Miliband's dad and stuff isn't, isn't, affecting, uh, isn't affecting sales, as it were. No, I mean, Ed Miliband's dad's story, as you know, as horrible as, uh, and nasty as that was, is never going to make an impact on the traffic, you know, the sort of people worldwide, the millions of people worldwide who are logging onto the mail for the sidebar of shame and all the rest of it and the fantastic hypnotising pictures that just come in an onslaught the moment you enter their world. The sentiment of most of what's in the mail is obviously not not to our taste, or certainly not to mine, but as an editorial product online, they've led the way, they've shown the rest of the world that, you know, this is not about just putting a load of newspaper content onto a website. You know, it's been from, from, from the beginning, they've put loads of resources into it and they've put lots of creative thinking into it. And it's very easy to sort of like, you know, sit and be cynical about the male and, and how nasty they are, which they are. But, we, uh, but uh, as a result, overlook the brilliant editorial creativity that they have put into that digital operation from day one and the foresight they had. And really, you know, the media should be thanking them for showing that there is a way to kind of compensate for the, you know, dwindling revenues out of all their traditional um, wares. Peter, are you, are you a male online man? No, not particularly. M-O-M? No, not particularly. But you do you do see the same people who get really upset, and usually Guardian readers, uh, I imagine, get really upset about what they're writing about uh, Ed Miliband's dad, who were, uh, you know, logging on at lunchtime to see how big Kim Kardashian's bum is. So the same people who complain about it are, are, are still still feeding the beast. And who was it said that he's seen the future of the internet and it was bullshit.com? Do you remember that? <laughs> Paul no, Dacre. Right. Paul Dacre. Uh, anyway, right, just time. You'll be glad to know for our Media Monkey quiz, backed by popular demand. Uh, every week. Uh, question number one. What paper's scoop was revealed by a tin of spam giveaway? Well, Dan Wooden uh, was reading Twitter uh, from The Sun, wasn't he? Former broadcast man. Former broadcast journalist. And this was the uh, this was the Sun scoop that Monty Python are getting back together again. You excited by that, Sam? Yeah, it's quite nice, isn't it? I liked seeing a picture tweeted yesterday by Eric Idle of them all sitting in a room together. I just sort of felt happy for them. Incidentally, uh, a newsroom while I was on my way here... Uh, rang up and said, we're having a debate, we want someone who say they don't like Monty Python and wish they weren't coming back together. I said, that, that's like going and punching the Queen in the face. How could you possibly... Who, how on earth are you going to find someone to do that? Who would you get? Who would you get? Christine Hamilton, maybe? Yeah, or what's her name? Katie, the one who looks like a puffin. Yeah, the woman from uh, The Apprentice. <laughs> yeah. Katie Hopkins. Katie, Katie Hopkins. Hopkins, she'll do it. Question number two, can you name any of the five guest editors of today this Christmas? Uh, yeah... Going to have to hurry, you. Go on. 
Go on. All right. Former okay. head of MI5, whose name I can't remember, but it's double-barreled. That'll do. Ruffle, ruffle, Google, Google. Yes, of course, that is. And you won't need reminding. It's uh, Lady Manningham Buller. Yeah, I can't wait uh, for her one. And also inter- uh, Michael Palin. Oh, Just yeah, Michael Palin, yeah. yeah. So it was a subliminal clue. Mm. And uh, question number one. Anyway, question number three. Uh, what gave Tony Hall more excitement than anything else he's done as DG? Getting in a TARDIS. I'm sure there's a few people Correct. who'd like uh, to see him stay in that TARDIS. Hang on. <laughs> if you're Director General, right, of the of the BBC. Right? All right, I'll imagine. Carry on. Yeah. Then, and there's all these things to do, like appear in front of committees and all the rest of it, right? And it's just like, he's, he's not, he's still quite new in the job. Well, relatively speaking, he's been there eons, yeah. considering the, the lifespan of some of them. But he's re- he's relatively new in it, right? And he's already down going, right, I want to look around the TARDIS, you know. I mean, when you're the boss of summer, of course, you do exploit your situation a little bit to fulfil dreams. But for me, it's too early for him to start mucking around in the TARDIS. You should turn up to one of the committees dressed as a Dalek. I think that would, that would, be, be, good, that would yeah. be quite impressive. I wanted to and see just it. talk only in a Dalek voice to them. Yeah. <laughs> That'd shut them up. <laughs> Takes us back to John Bird. Uh, right. Well, I think uh, the quiz, I think it's uh, 26 points each. So uh, uh, no time for a tiebreaker. Uh, but my thanks to uh, Mr. Sam Delaney and Peter White. It's time to talk television now, down into Rebecca Nicholson's TV lair. Rebecca, how are you? I'm all right. How are you? I'm very good. You, you've had your lair. You, you've, had the, uh, you've had the makeover experts in. Their lair is very nice. Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen came in from 1996. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Well, that's where, I've got only, throws everywhere and stencils all over the walls. <laughs> if only he'd stay there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right, so first up, uh, well, where, where do you want to start? What should we talk about last Tango in Halifax? The BAFTA winning yes. Tango in Halifax. Started again this week. Back on BBC One. Back on BBC One. And I'd only seen bits of the first series. And I watched the full, a full episode of this uh, second series. And it's brilliant. I can see why it won the BAFTA. It's so great. Credit should go to Sally Wainwright, who wrote the script. I reviewed it this week and somebody in the comments told me off for not mentioning her. So I really should mention her. The script is brilliant. It's so well done. It's so realistic and honest in a way that I haven't seen anything on TV like that in a long time, actually. It's really dialogue heavy. The scripts must be quite weighty because they just talk through uh, through the whole episode. And it's lovely. So uh, Anne Reid and Derek Jacobi are a couple who fall in love in their 70s and it's about their family and who's having an affair with who and who's fallen out with who and it's set in Yorkshire so it looks lovely there's lots of lovely countryside to look at just great just a really well done classy hour of TV thoroughly enjoyed it and Sally Wainwright she based on the true life story didn't she her mum uh, ended up um, I think she ended up marrying someone she met on uh, was reunited yeah. with on Friends Reunited I think well let's hope that the, the slightly more scandalous bits aren't quite based <laughs> on the true story because it all gets a bit complicated shall we say and one of several TV series I think on screen or being made that's based in Yorkshire and a bit of a renaissance for that part of the country you know, it's, not it's just lovely. the trip uh, it's God's Own County I believe okay and uh, next up let's talk about American Horror Story Mm, got a um, lot in common to give with, it its, its full title. Yeah. yeah, completely. Pretty much the same. You would be. That's not true. They're very different shows. American Horror Story Coven is its full title. Each series, there's been three series so far. This is the third. Each series is a standalone story over 12 episodes. And it's Ryan Murphy who created Glee. This is on, on Fox on Tuesday night. So I imagine the audience for it isn't huge, but it's my favourite thing on TV by far. It's completely bonkers. Nothing about it makes a great deal of sense. 
this season they're concentrating on witches. So it's about a coven in New Orleans. And the cast is just, it's Kathy Bates, who I love. Jessica Lang, who I also love. Oh, Jessica Lang. Angela yep. Bassett, who I love as well. And they it's play like the Golden Girls. It's like the Golden Girls, but with a lot more horror and witchcraft and, you know, throat slashing and Frankenstein men and things like that in it. Right. It's great. It's completely insane. They just seem to be having an absolute blast with it. It's very camp. There are a lot of scenes that are just very knowingly camp. And it's scary. It's, it's genuinely frightening. I, I can't really watch it on my own. I have to make sure that there's someone there when I watch it. But if you're not watching it and you have access to Fox, I would thoroughly recommend it because it's just brilliant. There's not really anything else like it on TV at all. It's just, it, it really is its own entity. And yet it made it to a, to a third series. So I think uh, it's doing very well in America. I noticed that it was on the cover of Entertainment Weekly this week. Um, but the cast is great. I mean, you can't go wrong with, I mean, you could go wrong if it, was, if it wasn't about witches and stuff like that. But, yeah, the cast is brilliant. They really seem to be having a good time. Now, you mentioned Glee, and now I watched a six-month-old episode of Seinfeld, and they had a trailer for an upcoming show called Smash, which I believe has been and gone, but I like the look of that. <laughs> was that any good? Um, no. Right, <laughs> it wasn't good. great. They tried. They tried. They, didn't they sack the showrunner and get a new one in for the second season, and then it got cancelled halfway through the second season? And uh, uh, next up is, uh, well, another comedy. Uh, maybe it won't run as long as Seinfeld. That would be awful if it did. Uh, or maybe not. Maybe not. I don't know. Fresh meat. They might have to get some fresh, fresh meat in if, yes. if that was the case. We've talked about, well, I haven't. I was on holiday, but Sam Wollaston talked about fresh meat when he was in. But thanks I just, for listening. Thanks. <laughs> I just can't, can't turn myself away. But I wanted to bring it up again because it doesn't feel like it has the same momentum that it did for the first couple of seasons but I think it's funnier than it's ever been I think it's a really brilliant series it's really solid writing and it's just so funny and I've seen ahead actually I've been enjoying it so much that um, through these secret tv lair means I've been able to see the next three episodes and it gets quite heartwarming in a way that it did last series with Jack Whitehall's character Vod this time around gets quite an emotional storyline and I found myself getting choked up which is a strange thing to do at Fresh Meat but I did so look out for that and is this going to be the last series? I don't know I don't think as you hinted they're getting on we're all getting on yeah but I I need to check but I don't think they're in their third years I think they might have just gone into their second so they're maybe two per year and the magic of TV, they could just slow time down and just do, you know, a day, a, a day, a day per, per series. series yeah. yeah, it could run and run. There you go. It could be Seinfeld length, just with good makeup. And uh, the big TV event, of course, this weekend, uh, which neither of us have seen because we can't, because they're not doing previews, so we can't talk about it, apart from what we're going to say now, is the 50th anniversary episode of Doctor Who. Yippee! Yeah, hooray, Doctor Who! <laughs> <laughs> excited? I mean, I'm, I'm as excited as I can be about something that I've been thinking about constantly for the past few weeks <laughs> still talking about Doctor Who yeah, yeah. right <laughs> through necessity um, obviously it's big, big for us we're going to do a live blog on the website because we can't see it in advance so that's how we're doing it I wonder do you think there's going to be more than we got the two Doctors and we got you know John Hurt and another Doctor do you think they're going to be a couple they're going to chuck a few more Doctors in the mix I think they've been so good at keeping things under wraps as we saw last week with the mini episode that went out by surprise yeah took us by surprise on iPlayer with the return of um, one of the McCann brothers. Everyone's favourite doctor, Paul, Paul McGann. Paul McGann, Paul, Paul McGann. McGann. Yeah. 
Not from ITV's upper hand. That was, Not, that was, that was the other one. The Baldwins of the... They are, aren't they? Baldwins of British TV. The Baldwins of British TV. You won for every occasion. <laughs> Each one got their own stalker. <laughs> <laughs> Which one's gone uh, very, very religious? That's what we need to know. Uh, that's uh, Messiah McCann. <laughs> Changed his name. Knew by. he had it in him. <laughs> Uh, deep, by, by so, it, but the point is that they've they've been very good at keeping secrets. Nobody knew that was coming. Yeah. So, I, who knows? Yeah, who I knows? I reckon there'll be a couple of surprises in there. I reckon the big secret is John Hurt's actually not in it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Matt Smith in a regular episode. Yeah. Anyway, on that note, and look forward to your live blog. Where can we find that live blog, Rebecca? You can find that live blog on theguardian.com forward slash TV. Be there, or, or uh... be there from seven thirty. Yeah, thank I'm you. I'm not actually doing it, but I will be there in the room. Oh, right, well, Helping. just monitoring, yeah. making suggestions, <laughs> making generally, suggestions. generally backseat blogging. Yeah. I'm going to be the backseat blogger. Backseat blogger, that's cool. <laughs> that, that was Joe McCann, I think. <laughs> anyway, move on. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, that's it for this week's show. My thanks to all our guests, Peter White, Sam Delaney and Rebecca Nicholson. You can leave your thoughts on this week's podcast on our blog, or you can tweet me at JohnPlunkett149. Media Talk is produced, as ever, by Mr Matt Hill. Thanks for listening. For more great downloads, go to theguardian.com slash audio. Support for this Guardian podcast comes from Squarespace, providing creative tools that help you bring your ideas to life. Squarespace offers free domain names, customizable designs, drag-and-drop tools, and 24-7 support. Squarespace also offers seamless e-commerce solutions for you or your small business. Every design automatically includes a unique mobile experience that matches the overall style of your website, so your content will look brilliant on any device. Start your free trial today, no credit card required. As a Guardian podcast listener, you'll get 10% off your new account by using the offer code GUARDIAN.